listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning, everybody. I am so glad to see all you guys this morning. Um, Man, look around. There's a lot of new family members here today. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Well, today, as it's already been said a bunch this morning, uh, we're starting a new sermon series. And this sermon series has been on my heart for actually a really long time. Uh, back in November, almost a year ago, believe it or not, when I first agreed to become the mission's interim lead pastor, um, I remember it was one of the first ideas that I pitched Ricardo and Mark at our very first teaching team meeting. Um, I remember we were sitting there in the cafe at, uh, at CBU and, uh, in Riverside, and I, I was telling them, like, I feel like one of the most important things we can communicate to people who are believers and non-believers alike is that is is this idea that it is okay to not be okay anybody else resonate with that besides me like okay okay just checking um i believe guys i believe that there could be in our community that there could be this releasing of freedom from getting real in community about what we are struggling with in secret. There's freedom to be had. There's freedom to be had by getting real in community about what we are struggling with in secret. I had this concept all formed in my mind, and I believed in it deeply, and it felt like uh, it could help a lot of people, but the concept didn't didn't come because I read a book on it and thought, oh man, that would make a good sermon series. I should totally rip that off. (laughs) And and we do that sometimes. Um, (laughs) But, and it it also didn't come because, um, you know, because I thought it would look good on a graphic or that it would market well or, or because I thought it would speak directly to the community of Redlands. It came because I was and am living it. I was wrestling with something in secret that was keeping me in the bondage of shame. The things I was wrestling with were depression and anxiety. And I use the word was very loosely because honestly, it's an ongoing battle and it probably will be until the day I die. I know that's super helpful and encouraging to all of you guys, right? Like, like if you weren't depressed before, you probably are now, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but no, all, all kidding aside, this is a very personal series for me because I feel like sometimes in church, we just sweep this stuff under the rug because we don't know how to talk about it. Sometimes well-meaning people feed others struggling uh, others that are struggling these christian cliches and a lot of times they are just not helpful i think we as believers sometimes do this because the church really hasn't done a great job of teaching us how to talk about it 
And in many cases, we just don't talk about it, right? And, and, and that's why I believe so many people battle with this. They fight this battle in secret. Because they don't want people to look at them as if they're fragile or broken or like maybe they don't have enough faith. Or, or maybe they're, they're just tired of hearing the, cliche, the, the Christian cliches as they continue to struggle. Let me give you a, a few facts about mental health. I have two. I, I don't want to take too long on, on just feeding you facts, but these are really interesting. Um, so these are a couple facts on mental health. Nearly one in five Americans over the age of 18 will experience a diagnosable mental health disorder in a given year. And nearly half, 46.4%, will experience a mental health disorder in their lifetime. That's fact. Number two. This is the number two fact, and I really, church people, if you, are, if you go to church, whether it's here or somebody else, really hone in on this fact, okay? When researchers asked those with mental illness about their experience in, in church, 10% said they've changed churches because of how a particular church responded to their mental illness. Another 13% either stopped attending church, so that's 8%, or could not find a church, 5%, more than a third. 37% answered don't know when asked how their church's reaction, uh, how, how their church's reaction to their illness affected them. Over half, 53% say their church has been supportive while 13% say their church was not supportive. There are a lot of alarming facts in that statement, in that number two. There, there are a lot of like, disturbing things happening there, but I feel like one of the most alarming is, is that 37% of people who don't know, they don't know how, how their church re- responds. That, that, that seems to me that there hasn't been openness there. That's alarming to me in church. One of the founding principles that the Mission Redlands was founded on was authenticity. From the very beginning, we wanted this place to be a place where all could be real in community. A place where anyone was welcome, no matter who you are or what you've done. A place where we, as imperfect people, could meet a perfect God and not have to put on a facade to do so. So to stay true to who we are as a church over the next five weeks, we're going to break the silence on mental health. We are going to discuss what the Bible says about these mental health struggles. We are going to discuss what a healthy Christian perspective on these matters looks like. Dr. Mark is a is going to come and talk to us about the medical side of things and how uh, medication plays into it. Uh, We're going to discuss that whether we recognize it or not, this very much is a spiritual battle. And and, And mark this down on your calendar. And on September 25th, the last Sunday of the series, we're going to have a panel of people from within our very own church talk about their own mental health struggles and how they deal with it. 
And as a teaching team, I want to let you know our goals up front for this series. We have three goals. Number one, we want to help people understand what the Bible has to say about mental health. Number two, we want to break the stigma that is attached to mental health health within the church. Number three, we want to help those who don't wrestle with a mental health disorder better understand how they can help others. I think this is going to be, seriously guys, I think this is going to be an incredible time for our community. And so I want you to make plans to be here for the whole series. Don't just come today. Make plans to be here for the whole series and just maybe forever. Just stay here. Because <laughs> it's going to be so good. I, I, I'm really excited about this. I'm super passionate about this. It's going to be so, so good. I believe that by God's grace, shame is just going to be obliterated over people's lives. Shame is not going to have a foothold. I believe, I, I believe that a whole bunch of people are going to get free, and it's going to be, I just believe the Lord's going to do something powerful, so I want you to be here. Um, but as I said, I, uh, depression and anxiety has been a real struggle for me, and I felt ashamed. My struggle came... Uh, to a head about six months after this church uh, launched, the, about six months after the mission launched. And, and uh, so this would have been, I don't know, roughly around three years ago. And so, so many of you know, my family and I resigned from a church that we dearly loved to come launch the Mission Redlands. The pastor of the church in the beginning was one of my best friends in the whole world and a man whom I deeply respect to this day. And and we were really excited to serve alongside him and his family and, uh, and reach the city of Redlands for Jesus. And honestly, we were living the dream a little bit. Like, we had the dream going on, right? And, uh, but six months into the launch of the church, while it was still in its infancy, think about a six-month-old, you know? It's still in its infancy. The dream was crushed, my friend, who was the lead pastor at the time, stepped down suddenly, and when I say suddenly, I mean he went on vacation and never came back. Am I lying? He had some struggles going on in his personal life that made it necessary for him to step down as the pastor of this church. And I just want to say that he did the 100% right thing. Because there, were so, there are so many, many other pastors who don't step down in situations like this. And it, it, they don't step down out of pride. And then it just goes on to completely destroy the church. And I respect him deeply to this day for being a man of character and making the tough call of stepping down. And though at the time, I, like so many, just felt completely abandoned. I just felt totally abandoned. Suddenly, I was in charge of this brand new baby church, right? And I don't know if you remember being a parent for the first time, but there's a lot of freaking out going on. <laughs> and after many years in ministry, I know one thing, many years of dealing with all kinds of people, I know one thing to be very true. It's that people really, really, really don't like sudden big changes. They really don't like it. And nobody really likes sudden change, and, and people react to it in all different ways. Some people begin to cautiously evaluate the new possibilities, like, hmm, what are the possibilities, right? Some people just get sad, right? 
And some people get angry, and while others just get like downright nasty. There are a wide variety of emotions that go along with change, and, and our church had just experienced a huge one. So needless to say, I was dealing with a lot at the time, and I began to isolate myself as much as possible. Confession time, on Sunday mornings, I knew exactly what path I could take from my office to the stage that would lead me to interact with the least amount of people possible. And, I had, and it had nothing to do with the people, right? We had amazing people back then, but I was in hiding. I was in hiding. I felt like I should be, be able to be strong for the church, and I was so ashamed that I was such a wreck on the inside. I just kept thinking, Lord, I left this stable church that I love for this. Like, what about my family, Lord? How am I going to provide for them when this baby church tanks? Because you know I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, what? Was it even your will for us to come across the country and move here? Like, was it even your will? I mean, I felt like it was, but now I, I don't know. And... Uh, Without labeling it, I had wrestled with depression my whole life. But this was on a whole other level. I couldn't even answer the phone. Like, I have this distinct memory from that time period where I got a, I got a phone call from my, my buddy Dick Ashley there. And uh, if you know Dick and Becky, um, they are just two of the sweetest people in the world. Yes. And uh, we just love them to pieces. They, they've been here since the launch of the mission. And... Uh, just an incredible couple, and and you know, like if you if you know Dick at all, you know that if he's calling you, there's nothing to be alarmed about. You know how you have those people on your phone that when you see their name, and you're like, uh oh, you know, and the imperial march starts to play, like dun 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 dun, dun, dun right? Like you have those people in your life, probably. I do, I know, and but Dick isn't one of those people. Dick is awesome, and, and so there was nothing to be alarmed about, you know, um, but I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to answer the phone. Like, I, I knew it probably wasn't important, but I literally just couldn't bring myself to answer the phone, and so I just, I ignored it, and, you know, he left a message, and, and that probably sounds all normal and fine. You know, people ignore calls all the time. Just ask parents of teenagers. But the strange part comes in when I started to look at that message every day, like a couple times a day for, for a week, and I could not bring myself to listen to the voicemail. And that's when I knew something was different about my mental state, like I, I wasn't right. Uh, this went on for months. Eventually, the mission got a new pastor, and some of the stress on my day-to-day -day was relieved, but the thing is, is that once you've given in to living and hiding, it's extremely difficult to stop. So even with the new pastor on board, I still couldn't shake this depression and anxiety I was feeling. In fact, it got worse. There were days when all I wanted to do was sit in my chair at home and stare off into space, almost catatonic, listening to sad old man music. <laughs> That's true. Ask my wife. My wife, uh, my wife tried to talk to me 
about going to see a doctor and opening up to a professional, but I just, I, I totally rejected the idea. Even though I knew something wasn't right with me, I completely rejected the idea because of my pride. And truthfully, and this is a God-honest truth, Kim, my wife Kim suffered more than anything, anyone through this period. She suffered more because I was miserable to be around at home. Yeah, I could smile and joke with people at church, but, but that was all a facade. That was the fake me. The real me always wanted to go into a room alone and close the door. As much as I could be, I was in hiding. I was a horrible husband during this time, and I wasn't a good father either. I was constantly yelling at my boys for doing stuff that normal little boys do, and they didn't understand. So not only was my mental state affecting me, it was, it was having a devastating effect on the ones that I loved the most. And this is the way it went for months and months until one day I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and a worship leader I admired tweeted this little video he made and I want you guys to see it. It's really short. So go ahead and roll that video. <laughs> that guy's name is Carlos Whitaker, and uh, he's, well, he's a well-known figure in the Christian community and for blogging and teaching and worship leading and stuff, and I had the pleasure of meeting Carlos a long time ago when he was a worship pastor at Sandals in Riverside, and he was at a, a friend of mine's recording studio one day working on his first album, and I just happened to swing by that day, and, and we hit it off immediately, and I had, I had followed his career ever since. But something about this short little video changed my whole world. Here I was in this wrestling match with shame, not knowing how to deal with depression and anxiety, having so many questions that I didn't have the answer to, like, why won't God just cure me of this? Is this punishment for some sort of sin issue in my life, God? If I go to a doctor and they want me to take medication, does that mean I don't have enough faith? These are the kind of questions that were rattling around in my mind like clothes tumbling in a dryer. A friend of mine always says that the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. Amen. Me too. He's totally right. By this man of faith coming forward and admitting that he struggles too, within seconds, my whole world turned upside down. I felt the shame lift off of me. I felt like maybe this isn't a faith issue at all. Maybe it's just part of being human. I mean, God doesn't always cure people who have physical ailments, does he? I mean, people die every day of cancer, AIDS, and more. So if God allows people to live with physical health needs, is mental health that different? The answer I came to is no. So I went to see a doctor and confessed that I had been wrestling 
with depression and anxiety for a long time and that I needed help. And you know what? He helped me. And honestly, with the struggle, some days are better than others. I'm not going to play like it's all hunky-dory now. But the shame is gone. Amen. The shame is gone, and that is huge. I feel like so many people get stuck, paralyzed even, in that place of shame and fear. They continue to isolate themselves and put on the happy facade when they're around others, and, but on the inside they're in a continual state of weeping and turmoil. They let those thoughts that are tumbling around their mind grow and grow until they just shout out to God, Why? What have I ever done to you? I've done my best to live a good life and, and honor you, and this is how you repay me? Can't you see I'm suffering here? And all the while, God is there listening, weeping right alongside you. Because the truth is, nowhere in the Bible does it say Christians are exempt from suffering. Amen. And no one knows that better than the Apostle Paul. As Brian Williams pointed out last week, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament in the Bible. He was a great, great man who had a vast knowledge of the scriptures in the Old Testament, and he won many victories for the faith. But there's a section in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and they've been deceived by some phony apostles. And these phony teachers are very eloquent, and they seem really great on the outside, and they have not been shy about bragging about their accomplishments to the people of the Corinthian church. And so the people of Corinth are drawn to them. Paul begins to feel like he needs to defend himself a little, and, but, but he doesn't go about it in the way you'd think. He doesn't feel all that comfortable boasting in himself, and he even calls it foolish talk, right? And, but, I want, but I want you to hear how he defends himself. I'm, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 21 through 30, and, and I'm going to read it from the message translation because I feel like it's a little easier to understand without knowing all the context. So, um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 21 through 30 in the message. So this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. Since you admire the egomaniacs of the pulpit so much, remember, this is your old friend, the fool, talking. <laughs> Let me try my hand at it. Do they brag of being Hebrews, Israelites, the pure race of Abraham? I am their match. Are they servants of, of Christ? I can go them one better. I can't believe I'm saying these things. It's crazy to talk like this. But I've started, and I'm going to finish. I love that little chunk right there. Um, 
I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day, in hard traveling year in and year out. I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by the desert sun and sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, Blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. And when someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. If I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about my humiliations that make me like Jesus. Dude, I I just love that version of the translation. I think it's so amazing. I love the part where he says, if I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that I've suffered because it makes me more like Jesus. So good. These other phony apostles are over here bragging about all their accomplishments, right? Trying to make themselves look all great and wonderful. But Paul chooses to brag about his suffering because that's what made him most like Jesus. What a paradigm shift that is. But you may be sitting there thinking like, okay, Jason, like that's all cool and, and, you know, wow, how noble that Paul suffered those things for the gospel, kudos, you know, like, um, but what does that have to do with me? Nobody's trying to beat me with rods. Now, be honest, did anybody, like, run the risk of being flogged on the way into church today? No, no, no. no okay, okay, I just checking. Um, uh, yeah, this kind of suffering sounds very noble, but this list was just some of what Paul suffered. In the next chapter in Corinthians, Paul goes on to confide in the church at Corinth that he has a daily struggle too. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, I'm going to read everything else in the ESV. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to harness me, harass me, sorry, (laughs) to keep me from uh, becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
This thorn in Paul's side, nobody's 100% sure uh, exactly what it was. Some of the main contending thoughts on what it could have been are that he had a physical affliction that was constantly bothering him. Um, uh, Another uh, another, um, contending thought is that his opponents, these phony apostles, were continually oppressing him and and just trying to get in his way and mess up what he was doing. And and, and this other one kind of struck me as interesting. Um, And like I said, nobody knows for sure what it is, but but this one um, was interesting. Um, Some people believe that this thorn in Paul's side was a psychological struggle with guilt over all that he had done in his life before he met Jesus. Before Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was the number one with a bullet enemy of the Jesus followers. Paul himself, the author of most of the New Testament, right, uh, viciously attacked the early church and worked tirelessly to destroy it. But when he met Jesus, all that changed, and he put all that same effort into spreading the gospel of Jesus like wildfire. And nobody knows exactly what the thorn was in Paul's side, but it's clear that he suffered with it regularly. And um, so here's my question. If the Apostle Paul had daily suffering without relief, where did we in the church get the idea that somehow it's different for us? Because that idea, you know the one, you know the one I'm talking about. The one where all Christians are supposed to have their act together and like if they don't, something must be wrong. And that their life is supposed to be all kinds of like dew drops on roses and whiskers on kittens, kind of perfect, you know? Like that belief... <laughs> that belief is not biblical. Amen. I mean, seriously, it's completely unfounded in the Bible and a total lie. And, and not only is it a lie, but it's a seriously dangerous belief because it implies that if you increase your spirituality, you won't suffer. Put another way, if, if, if you're spiritual enough, your suffering will stop. This is found nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. That is a lie that is spread out of fear of authenticity. Think about that. How many times has someone asked you how you're doing, and you respond to it, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, when you're anything but okay? Let me tell you, friends, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. It is totally okay to not be okay. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual enough. It just means you're human. Suffering is just a part of being a living creature on this little blue and green ball we call earth, right? One thing that we have to realize, while we are still on this earth, we are in process. What do I mean by that? Well, until the day we see Jesus face to face, we are a work in progress. Which means we're going to have hard times. 
We're going to have uh, to battle day in and day out with suffering. And the goal is that every day we spend on this earth, we begin to be more and more like Jesus. A little more like Jesus. Just a little more like Jesus. The day that we meet Jesus face to face is the day the process ends. And in another book, the Apostle Paul wrote, we are promised that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That means that until the day Jesus comes, we are in process. And with that process comes refinement. And sometimes that refinement is painful. And sometimes that refinement comes in the form of trials and struggles and suffering. This actually... um, this actually brings to mind a form of Japanese art I, I learned about recently. That's such a cool thing to say. I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> I learned about Japanese art the other day. Pretty cool. <laughs> but it's this art form called kintsugi. I think I'm saying it right. <laughs> kintsugi is the art of taking broken pottery and repairing it with gold and silver. In fact, kintsugi in Japanese literally means gold joinery. See, the philosophy is to treat breakage and repair as part of the history of an object, rather than something to disguise. And that, in the end, the cracks make the pottery more beautiful. What an amazing picture of what Paul is talking about when he said, in our weakness, God is made strong. And guys, I just want to say, like, I, I'm tired of disguising my cracks because of what people might think. I'm tired of giving the stock answer when people ask me how things are going. I'm ready to be open and honest about my weaknesses and my struggles. Does that mean I'm not scared? Heck to the no. I'm terrified. I'm terrified to be telling you guys all this for what you might think. But this is how community is born. Openness, authenticity. I've been struggling with this issue a long time, and it took me a long time to be able to open up about it. Because I was trying to convince myself that I should just be okay, but I I wasn't okay, and you know what? That's okay, right? And Because my process of refinement isn't complete yet. I haven't gotten all my golden cracks, and I love gold. Bling. (laughs) Bling. Bling, son. My journey with God towards complete restoration isn't complete yet. And so I have to continue on the journey, even in the midst of suffering. Like Paul said in Philippians 3, 10 through 14, that I may know him, he's speaking of Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, 
becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. And when that upward call comes, our process is done. Because the good news, like, uh, friends, I just want to say that if you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, then he has made you his own. There is no reason to be in hiding any longer. Come out. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. We have to press on till Jesus calls us home. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart before, there's no better time to begin the journey than right now. And especially if you are in the midst of suffering, because the good news is that he wants you just as you are. Jesus doesn't care if you have anxiety, depression, postpartum depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, OCD, or any of those other acronyms. Jesus wants you just as you are. And so does your mission, Redlands family. There is no reason to live in hiding any longer. And believe me, I know how hard it is to stop. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this passage, Jesus promises that you will find all the rest you will ever need in him. Will it be easy? Nope. But it will be worth it. See, the thing is, with my day-to-day struggle with mental health, some days are better than others. On the bad days, I let fear and shame take me over, and I head back into hiding. But on the good days, I keep at the forefront of my mind what defines me. See, the truth is, I'm not depressed. I'm not depressed. I have depression. There's a difference. The shame... Of my, of my mental disorder is not what defines me anymore. And what does define me is what I am. I am the son of the one true living God. Amen. And his grace is sufficient for me. For his power is made perfect in my weakness. So I will boast in my weakness all the more so that the power of Christ may rest upon me Christ is the one who defines me the Father God defines me that is where my peace and rest come from always 
And I'm so thankful to have a church family that encourages me and supports me just as I am. By being open publicly about my struggle, I'm hoping that you experience the same freedom from shame through this series that I did through that little video. If any of this is hitting home for you, I encourage you, don't hide anymore. Come out of hiding. Because there is a releasing of freedom from getting real in community about what we struggle with in secret. I want to have the worship team come. And uh, I want to just take a moment and pray. If you all would just bow your heads. Um, You know what? I feel like I actually want to open this time up for some ministry time. So if I could have the leaders uh, that I asked to come uh, pray with people, come forward and just stand on the sides here. Um, Just just go ahead and stand on the sides there. Um, If you would like somebody to pray with, if, if any of this is hitting home with you, it's time to come out of hiding. And I don't want to do some big grand gesture. I, I, I want this to be an intimate time. So we're just going to open up this time. Mark is going to play quietly just on the piano there. And we're just going to leave a few minutes open for you to come forward and pray if you want to. And, and these people would be glad to pray with you. So if you, want, if you need prayer, just come and, and uh, come up onto the first row and somebody will sit next to you and pray. And... Uh, I would love to pray with you as well. So we're just going to leave this next few moments open. Come forward. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.